Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast where I go in deep with experts in the fields of mindset, nutrition, and sports. Here's a snippet from this week's guest, Ryan Leach. Once you start acknowledging and looking at and being honest with yourself about the role the ego plays in the sport, and it's a big deal in mountain biking, once that starts to be addressed, then some smarter decisions can be made and you can realize when you are in that situation. Ryan Leach has been a professional mountain biker for the last 20 years, and he's taken on all disciplines from cross-country racing to downhill to trials. What are trials? Well, trials are really interesting because it involves an obstacle course where the rider has to navigate without putting their foot down. And the obstacle course can be man-made, it can be natural terrain, but it's typically done at low speeds where riders have to come to a complete stop and then jump up on top of a building or ride their bike down a railing. So it involves the utmost amount of technical riding skills. Ryan is one of the world's experts in trials mountain biking, so much so that he's done a lot of different videos and even a television show. Ryan has been coaching almost as long as he's been a professional mountain biker, and he's an avid explorer of human potential. He's done extensive studying and his own meditation practice for many years, and is also a certified yoga instructor where he's used his yoga to combine mountain biking and had retreats and taught different yoga classes at different bike events. Ryan's dedication and love of mountain biking is very strong, and now he's recently launched an online coaching platform called the Ryan Leach Connection. And it's a great place where people can come, and he has step-by-step videos on how to do just about anything. It's definitely something that I'm planning to sign up for because I am always looking to improve my skills, and it really doesn't matter how long you've been mountain biking. It is a lifelong sport, and there's always something new to improve on. In today's show, we talk about Ryan's background and how he got into mountain biking. It seems like there is always something unique about how people got into the sport, especially in the late 90s. We also talk about the headspace involved doing a sport like trials, where you have to be completely focused but also calm, and how to get over it when you make a mistake. We also talk about his online coaching program where not only does he have several other coaches and ambassadors with hundreds of instructional videos on how to mountain bike, But also, we talk about the mental fitness element. I can definitely relate to the need to work on mental fitness because it's self-awareness that helps you move forward and also helps you understand the ego. Sometimes people ride too hard or try things they shouldn't be doing because they feel pressure to prove something to somebody else. It really does take a lot of work to figure out who you are and how to do things for you and not to do things whenever you're not ready to. I'll leave the rest to Ryan. Let's do this. Here is Ryan Leach. Hey, Ryan, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Sonia. Yeah, glad that we could uh, make some time to have a chat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's good. It's uh, I'm gearing up for a two-month-long road trip here, actually just uh, in less than a week, so oh, yeah, wow. pretty excited. Yeah, I'm glad to, glad to be here. Cool. Yeah, I first saw you uh, when you were doing one of your trials shows at one of the events I was at. And I was like, wow, who is this guy? And how the heck is he doing that? When was that? Do you remember? Uh, which it, was year, that was? it was like years ago, probably like eight years ago or maybe more. Okay, so not that long ago, actually, in the grand scheme of my 
Charles show career. Yeah. So like, let's kind of get into, into what your background is, like how you even got into this and when you started cycling and how you kind of morphed into what you're doing today. Yeah. So, I mean, it's probably, it's 25 years now. I'm, I'm 38 and really kind of got going around when I was 13 into mountain biking and, uh, cross country racing, downhill racing, then got into trials, you know, around 15 years old and around 17 years old, I actually started doing some trial shows. And shortly after that got sponsored by Norco bikes around, um, sort of 17 years old, 18. And I've been with them as a pro rider ever since. And now just, uh, sort of in the semi retired phase of my pro career and focusing on yeah, running a coaching business online for mountain bikers. So that's the quick summary. Cool. So you said that you kind of got started around age 15. So a lot of us didn't start like now a lot of kids have the opportunity to start with mountain biking because there's lots of cool programs. But how did you kind of get into cycling? Because it used to be that, oh, people, we would start in soccer or we'd start in a team sport of some kind. And then a lot of endurance athletes or solo sport athletes find their way to something else. I just liked riding my bike around the neighborhood. And I was fortunate enough to live next to a sort of a forest area which had a few walking trails so I used to blast around through there on my bike through puddles and stuff and <laughs> and then I saw a couple other mountain bikers who looked like they knew what they were doing and I was just kind of cruising around in my sort of jogging pants and on this you know just a crappy old bike and <laughs> and I thought wow that's pretty cool and then then I saw a mountain biking magazine at the store I got that and and that one issue of the magazine was like heaven to me and I studied it. That was kind of it. Just hooked on it ever since. So what was your process? Because a lot of times I started the same way on kind of a crappy bike, but then you need to move up to getting a nicer bike that's going to be a little more capable and then figure out what you want to do with your bike because there's so many options. So what was the journey with that? Um, just kept delivering papers. Like I was 13, oh, so, so I still had, a, still had a paper route and um, saved all my money and, and bought uh one of the riders who I saw in the watershed and he was selling his bike. And so I chased him, I was chasing him around and he said, Hey, do you want to buy this bike? You need a new bike, buddy. And so I was like, all oh, my paper route money went to that and quit the paper route shortly after that and got some sort of bike industry kind of related jobs. And that was, yeah, bikes have been. And then shortly after that, when I got sponsored by Norco, then I'm just, uh, been in bike heaven ever since. So that's so cool. So how, how did you make that transition, though, from getting your first bike to doing trials? Because that doesn't really seem like a normal transition for most people. So what, what led you that direction? It was more about enjoyment, really, and sort of uh, that satisfaction of seeing my practice pay off with sort of new skills. You know, I was racing cross-country training and spending a lot of time on the saddle and not really noticing that much improvement. And then with trials, I could just go out close to my house and practice for half an hour, an hour and come away having learned something new. And that sort of satisfaction was really addicting. And back to your other question in terms of like learning these skills, you know, there wasn't much in terms of trials riding out there. So I was, um, 
I collected some VHS tapes from from around the world. I got one from Spain and one from the UK and one from the States and sort of studied those VHS tapes, if the younger listeners might not even know what that is. So. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. So actually, maybe you should define what trials is because not everybody listening is a cyclist, actually. Okay. Yeah, no, that's cool. So it's a style of mountain biking. It's a discipline within the sort of sport of mountain biking where it's basically really technical mountain biking and usually very slow speed balance oriented. So it's riding your bike over really challenging terrain, whether it's um, natural or sort of man-made natural. It might be rocks, big boulders, logs, sort of steep sections of sort of gnarly terrain that you kind of sort of ease your way down and up and over or uh, sort of man-made. It might be, um, you know, Charles riders ride in the urban landscape on ledges and stairs and railings and just trying to find interesting things to, well, you know, most probably a lot of people, I mean, Danny McCaskill is probably the most famous trials rider. So his style of riding is bred from trials and it's kind of blended a little bit of sort of street BMX into that, but he's still primarily a trials rider. He uses his drivetrain quite a lot, a lot more than a, say, a BMX rider does, like the drivetrain sort of style skills, like to propel your bike forward off of one railing to the next, that kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, that's, uh, the brief trial it's definitely check it out. If you haven't seen it, um, that kind of riding, just go on YouTube and there's loads. Yeah. It's so crazy. I- I use momentum a lot to get me through things. And a lot of times it's the wheels turning and the suspension that gets you through, but slowing way down and just watching what you do, like being able to jump your bike really high from, from a stop position almost and being able to track stand forever and just pop a wheelie and just jump up on stuff. That's really incredible. Mm-hmm. And the amount of skill that that takes is, is amazing. And the amount of, of work that it would take to get to that point too. For sure, yeah, I know it's um it's the kind of kind of uh, sport or style of riding that is frustrating to get into. A lot of there's not a lot of people that do it just because the the barrier to entry is higher than quite a lot of the other styles of riding. You know, you could go to a pump track, for instance, on your mountain bike and sort of get a pretty good buzz, pretty good high, and have a lot of fun pretty much right off the bat without too much. Um, background or skill, but you know, you can't, uh, you got to log a lot of time on, you know, with trials, foundational kind of skills in order to um, gain some of that sort of uh, satisfaction. So, yeah. And just the amount of patience it would take to try and try again and fail. And, and Mm -hmm. I'm sure that you've had your fair share of injuries when you actually tried to do something and it didn't work out properly. So can you talk a little bit about that and how we can apply that to daily life, like learning how to have patience? Because a lot of us, especially in this day and age with instant gratification, I know I fall in that category is we tend to be impatient. So what are some tools Mm -hmm. you can give the users uh, or the listeners um, about patience? Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's a good question, Sonia. And, you know, in terms of my sort of my own experience, it's um, it's yeah, that 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 that, you know, you got to sort of um, I think 
anything worthwhile is gonna there's gonna be some challenges and barriers along the way that you kind of work through um you know i know you've done a lot of um, endurance style racing and you know for that kind of riding right it's um you know your mind's kind of going crazy when you're logging those long hours and so um and then you're dealing always with those repetitive strain injuries perhaps like if you kind of um so same same thing with trials um but yeah i think it's it is linked to to life i mean i don't know it's like riding is never it's never just fun there's always you got to deal with the pain and the injury and same with life life's like there's all sorts of you know hard things you got to deal with in life and you know i think um yeah i don't know i'll just leave it there let you let you jump back in didn't really have a full fully formed thought there i kind of i kind of sideswiped you with that question that's a big question to ask but I mean, I, I, I look at what you do and I've, when I moved to BC, I had to relearn how to mountain bike because I'd never seen trails like they have here. And they're so steep and so technical that I had to relearn my, well, fundamentally what mountain biking is. And I know also when people have injuries, they, they lose, they lose confidence. And what I've found is a lot of the, the skills that come with really technical mountain biking is confidence to try and to keep going and and to be okay with the fact that you might fall down and you might get hurt so how how have you dealt with that through your career because i'm sure you've had your fair share of injuries and then the the being being scared of trying again yeah and i guess it changed it's it's changed as well so i guess it comes to purpose and and the reason why for me it's been the reason why i'm doing why I'm riding, like what's, what's the purpose, what's the mission, what's the goal. And when I was younger, you know, it was like, you know, it was, I wanted, I wanted to, I wanted to look good. I wanted to show off. I wanted to get sponsorship. I wanted to, you know, get free bikes and sort of, um, be known. And it was fairly shallow and sort of ego driven sort of some of those goals when I was sort of in the teenage years. And, um, as my careers developed, um, you know, sponsors came into play and, um, you know, reputation, I had a reputation develop and then, um, you know, I was getting paid. And so there was a lot of sort of pulls and factors at play that weighed in on my decision as to whether to take a risk or not. If I injured myself, that wouldn't be good for sponsors and I'd lose out on paycheck. So I had to really consider, be careful about what I did on the bike. But at the same time, it was through taking risks that led to sort of the the more exciting film segments that uh, I was creating and producing. Um, and then so, so that was, um, you know, it's interesting, all these things at play, you know, my, my ability to contribute through entertaining people at a trial show, like the one you saw, you know, that was a big part of the, my, my, my reason, my, my motivation and purpose was, you know, wow, I can use these skills and kind of connect with an audience and sort of inspire them to maybe, um, try riding their bike or try different skills or just to, you know, try ride mountain biking in general, you know? Um, so, you know, that, that's sort of evolved and eventually it's, you know, dealing with injuries. Like I had an ACL, a couple like PCL tear and, um, some shoulder and back issues. And, you know, so as the career went on, just being 
honest with myself in terms of, okay, well, why, why, why am I taking this risk? I mean, yeah, maybe I can get a better contract, but is the better contract really worth the extra risk that I'm taking to, to create, you know, yet another mountain bike segment in a movie. And, um, and so I'm just blabbering on here, but you know, it became, it became apparent to, to me that, you know, I love mountain biking. I didn't want to lose that love of mountain biking. I know a lot of pros and I've interviewed and talked to a lot of people who've been in the sport for a long time and, you know, they, they hung their bike up after their pro career and I didn't want that to happen to me. Um, so I had to really start making some decisions about where my career was headed and, um, and, you know, um, you know, is it worth another injury that could lead to me not wanting to ride my bike because it was always painful or, you know, maybe I should back off a little bit. And so um, probably for about seven or eight years, the last seven or eight years of my career, I've been trying different things, different ways to contribute. And and so, um, yeah, there's a long answer to your question. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about the, com- the com- competition side of trials, because I'm actually not super familiar how that actually works. So can you tell us about that? Uh, yeah. So, well, basically it's, um, for competition style trials, um, you just have like a series of sections that are sort of short technical, kind of like a short, really technical trail, Mm -hmm. um, that you have to negotiate your bike through. And basically a judge counts how many times you put your foot down during that section and you get a maximum up to a maximum of five. Um, and then you go to the next section and they count again and then the next section and you usually do that, you know, do, do the course, the 10 courses twice. And, you know, at the end it's like they, whoever has the least number of foot dabs wins. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so. Th- this is actually really interesting because a lot of people make in their life or in the bike or whatever, they'll make a mistake and then the mistake gets stuck in their head and then they can't stop thinking about the mistake. So it sounds like in this style of competition, the, the having a really strong mind is super important so that you can keep going and, and keep your balance. So how do you, how do you get through that whenever say you put your foot down and now you have to keep moving forward and, and keep your head in that right space? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it's a skill for sure. It's a skill that you develop, and man, it's uh, it's a tough one. <laughs> it's a tough one because once, yeah, if you make a mistake, it's hard to see. You know, especially when you come around again, it's hard to see that section in a different way. But that's where that's where practice comes in. That's where you know the uh, a life of practice whether it's, it's biking or, you know, whether it's, uh, meditation or yoga or anything else, writing, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, 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 that practice, that sort of daily practice is what you can then lean back on when something goes wrong. It's like, okay, if it went wrong, but you know, I know that, I know that based on the number of hours I've been practicing this day in and day out, um, that's the anomaly or it's like i gotta be honest i'm i'm able to be accurate with my assessment of the situation and know that hey you know this is um, i'm in over my head here so let's uh let's reassess or so basically through doing challenges over and over again that's how you built confidence to say well if i've made a mistake 
I'm not going to make the same mistake again, but it can't have gone perfect every time. Like there had to have been times where you like it happens in ten. Like I played tennis growing up and I, I love like the whole mental aspect of tennis because when people start choking, they start making mistakes over and over. So was there a time where a time or maybe multiple times that happened that you had to go through that? For sure. Yeah. And when I was younger, it's just frustrating and it's hard to get your head around. And But uh, in terms of my practice life, even when I was younger, it's like, well, I mean, that's just kind of part of the learning process. I, you know, I was fortunate at a fairly young age, kind of realizing that if I practice and make mistakes and learn from it and make a mistake and practice kind of, then, you know, I'm going to get rid of more of my mistakes Mm -hmm. (laughs) before anyone else, because I'm practicing more and I'm making more mistakes and I'm learning from them faster than anyone else. So that will put me ahead. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the approach that I've kind of taken with pretty much everything Mm -hmm. that I go into. So... Yeah, I think that's really a cool thing about you because there's a lot of people where if they start making mistakes and things start going poorly, they want to give up. And they don't always say, I'm going to learn from this mistake. They won't take responsibility for their mistake or they just say, oh, maybe I'm just not cut out for this. So how do you push through that? I think that the thing is, it seems to me in my experience that life kind of keeps challenging me with sort of the mistakes I make seem like they're worse or more, they're bigger or they're more consequential, not necessarily, not so much in riding, but just in whether it's a business decision or, or lifestyle choice or, you know, it's, um, they seem somehow more important. <laughs> That's just kind of how it seems. So I don't know, it's, I always kind of think, well, I'd rather not sort of begin projecting what ifs in my head. I'd rather just try it out for real and, you know, go, go do my research, do my best to try to make the right decision and then give it a go and not, you know, as soon as I sort of get to a point of more or less knowing, don't dwell on it, just take action and get it done and see what happens. I don't know, (laughs) long answer, but I'm just trying to be accurate with my process. Yeah, I think the taking action part is the really keystone thing here, because whenever something happens, you need to do something about it. I mean, you have Mm -hmm. to you have to accept what happened and, and feel it and all those things. But to keep moving forward, you have to take action. And it sounds yeah. like, like you already had your path that you figured out what you wanted to do and that just staying focused on your process instead of focusing on all the things that are happening because of the process was part of the, mm-hmm. is, is, that, is that right? Totally. Yeah. That action piece is really important. And it, you know, kind of to me, as I observe sort of people and in, in the world, as I have a bigger perspective on things and I've experienced a lot. I have sort of a a better sense of this and and I notice it in myself as well. There's kind of two realms to go into. One is sort of taking action and doing things in the real world. And the other is sort of getting lost in entertainment and sort of whether it's into the material world, the entertainment world, just um, so that's like going to movies, losing yourself in your phone on social media and, you know, just vacations, shopping, that kind of thing. And so not that that's bad. And, you know, I do a good bunch of that as well. But I notice that uh, 
if I'm stuck with the decisions, certainly the procrastination leads towards the entertainment side of things. And um, the more I procrastinate, the more I sort of am forced to practice living in the entertainment world. And I don't want to sort of almost unconsciously practice getting good at losing myself in the entertainment sort of world because it's just sort of empty time it's just unengaged you know passive versus mm. you know i need some of that for sure but i just i'm always trying to stay tuned to when i'm really avoiding something or trying to cover up something through falling into that sort of entertainment passive kind of realm does that make sense yeah i think it takes a lot of awareness to realize when you're actually doing that especially whenever, you know, being online is part of your job. Like, especially now for all professional athletes, it's expected that you spend time online engaging with people. So <laughs> knowing how to draw the line there, knowing when you're avoiding, like you said, am I just avoiding some work that I actually need to be doing otherwise? Or am I just, mm-hmm. am I pretending to work being on social media? Like, yeah, yeah, it's hard to draw that line sometimes. Yeah, it is. So Let's talk about your meditation practice, because it seems like a lot of these different things that you're talking about come from having that practice and being able to separate your thoughts from your feelings and have that space to pause. So how did you get into meditation? So I just decided, well, I read a lot and all these people that seemed to be living pretty cool lifestyles seem to have some sort of meditation practice. And so I thought, well, okay. I'll give it a go and started meditating and or at least doing what I thought was meditation and that was good and then I actually I got some formal training in meditation through the coaching school that I went to Integral Coaching Canada I did a couple of years of training with them and part of that was having a f- more formal meditation practice that's a little more structured and so I I did that and had you know a good sort of 8 years of probably six day a week meditation practice without really skipping a beat. So that was really powerful. And it's amazing, though, just in the last year and a half, I've been so busy running my online coaching business that that practice has fallen away. And, and you know, I'm noticing that as well and sort of feeling the, the need to build up that capacity again, that uh, ability to be a little more spacious in my sort of awareness throughout the day and sort of that sort of observational stance, that ability to have a little more room when I'm making decisions, a little more space in my being to sort of navigate some of the hard things. You know, I really found that the meditation practice brought that and without the practice, even though I did it for so long, not having practice, not being in the practice, you know, that falls away. I mean, just like, you know, training, you know, any kind of fitness, you know, those skills drop away if you're not engaged in doing it. So... Yeah, and I think that I've read stuff that your brain actually changes. There's there's physiological changes in your brain when you're doing regular meditation. And I'm certainly guilty of doing sporadic meditation, and it's something that I've, yeah. I've wanted to do on a daily basis, and I'll do spurts of it, and then I get too busy and I don't make time for it. And I can right. really tell that there is more balance in my in my own mind and how I treat people around me when I'm feeling stressed out. Like I'm less snippy whenever I'm, I do meditation regularly. So... For people who are interested mm-hmm. in, in trying meditation, like what do you recommend? Like what resonated with you? 
Well, I think if you kind of have the sort of the intuition that meditation is a good thing to do and that, you know, might be beneficial, if, if you're feeling that, then it leads to that question we were talking about earlier about, you know, sort of procrastinating versus taking action. I think no matter where you are there, you just stop and sit there and that's it. <laughs> you can just just start. You don't need to wait until you find the perfect meditation app or, you know, go to a class or, I mean, don't stress about that. Don't let that be the excuse to stop you from trying. Just find a quiet space for five minutes, sit down and shut up. (laughs) 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 So, yeah. And I think that there's like this misconception that people that are new to meditation, they're like, I just can't sit there and not think about anything. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's more just observing your thoughts and just letting them go by instead of getting stuck on your thoughts. Yeah, for sure. And just stop and sit and, you know, that's it. See what happens. And did you you notice any difference in your trials whenever you started meditation? Yeah, it's interesting. Sometimes people would ask, you know, oh, it's because he meditate or it's because he does yoga that he has such good balance on the bike. Mm -hmm. But I, that's not the case because I was at a high level before I got into yoga and I had amazing balance on my bike. I developed through practice before right. I got into yoga. But but what the yoga and meditation practices enabled me to do was continue riding at a high level. And it helped me make better decisions on my bike about what I was going to try and what I wasn't going to try. Um, <laughs> allowed, you know, it just gave me a better perspective. It, it, it gave me the yoga practice really allowed me to understand my body and actually feel my body much more intimately and uh, with that sort of awareness you know the body started sending messages that I hadn't really been receiving before and so I started you know the meditation also allowed me to sort of be aware of those messages more clearly and then obviously you know listening to them led to different decisions so that's kind of how that process worked. Yeah, I remember I was at Sea Otter one year and I saw that you were teaching yoga there and I thought that was really cool because I got into yoga, like, I don't even know how long it's been, probably a decade or more, but I I thought that that really helped my cycling and just me as a human being. And I thought that was really cool that you're bringing that into the mountain biking space even more. And now you do retreats, right? Yeah, I I have done. I, I haven't just, again, I've been so busy with my online coaching business that I haven't been holding any formal retreats for the last uh, two, three years now. But uh, I probably, I held, yeah, I held retreats up in the Yukon, you know, week-long mountain bike and yoga sort of workshops and um, I, you know, on the Sunshine Coast and down in the States and, you know, tried to teach yoga, you know, at different mountain bike events, did the BC Bike Race series and Mongolia Bike Challenge. I taught yoga there. Oh my and gosh. So tried to spread, spread the word and share the benefits of yoga and uh, with other mountain bikers. So cool. So let's kind of talk about your performances, your, your entertaining of people. So How did you get into doing that? And what do you love the most about that? Well, I mentioned a little bit before just about how, you know, I guess the for the bulk of my career that what I enjoyed most about it was being able to have an effect on 
a bunch of people, like just through my skills and through the way I showed up, through how I spoke, I was able to change the state of each person in the audience in some unique way. It triggered something or it connected with them in some unique way that led to applause, that led to a wow, that led to them kind of thinking about things differently. It's, you know, it was a fairly superficial connection, but there was a connection and I, and I felt that as a performer and that really fueled me. And especially because it was still sort of related to, you know, it's a healthy, riding bikes is a healthy thing. And, you know, people are, I did a lot of shows to people that weren't mountain bikers. So, I mean, that was always enjoyable to sort of perform in a way that wasn't just sort of, again, that entertainment that I was talking about before, but perform in a way that I could connect with them and perhaps, um, you know, maybe I'd ask them a question or something during my show or just so it wasn't so passive for the Mm -hmm. audience. And that was always a challenge. That was what I enjoyed doing is trying to figure out how I could blend the the riding performance, the tricks and stunts with sort of my dial. I wore a wireless mic. And so I was able to sort of um, explore how I could engage with the audience. And so, you know, that became a really interesting challenge for me. So, you know, I really just loved that whole sort of process and became really comfortable for me as well, you know, like anything, I was when I first started performing. There's no way I I wouldn't grab the microphone or talk. I always I had a couple of teammates that did that. But over time, I eventually grabbed the mic and announced for another person. And eventually, I started to wear a wireless mic to announce my shows. And then it just became a supernatural kind of thing. So yeah, um, I remember that when I, from the first performance I saw you do, and I thought that you were really playful and. The mic, like I was impressed that you could talk while you were doing that because the amount of concentration for somebody that has never done something like that, like number one, I, I probably, well, I know that I wouldn't have even been able to survive, <laughs> uh-huh. but being able to talk during that is really cool. And to make an impact on people, because what you're doing is you're showing them to rethink what's capable and to rethink what their perception was. And that's sure. a really powerful yeah. thing to teach somebody. And also I'm sure that in your life, when you started doing some of these things, your perception of what you thought you were capable of would change as well, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. It's amazing what what I've learned um, about what's possible through riding bikes. Yeah. yeah. And how have you changed that or how have you taken that and transitioned into an entrepreneur? Because you're doing competitions, you're performing, and now you, you've mentioned you've done these yoga retreats and now you have your online coaching business. So what was the tipping point for making that transition or beginning the transition? Well, I guess I actually, well, I started for the online stuff, you know, I was teaching yoga classes. So I started filming those and posting those online and making sort of a new yoga class available each week. Um, And then I, you know, have some mountain bikers that would pay a monthly fee for getting access to new yoga videos. And so, so I thought, oh, yeah, you know, that's a great way to both um, start sharing the yoga practice with people and also allow me to make a little bit of extra money on the side. And so that was, you know, there was a bunch of people that were interested in that and doing that and they started asking for a few other things and so I started adding a few more sort of mental fitness style um, lessons up there but what a, a lot of them really wanted was the the bike skill coaching and so I thought well yeah you know I've I've always been 
coaching throughout my career from when I was a teenager, I started coaching skills. And so it's quite natural to begin creating a few skill courses. And I guess the first big hit for me was the 30 day wheelie challenge. And so I, you know, produced that course and it became really popular and and that was kind of the momentum for me that sort of really made this online business viable and you know it allowed me to step back from a lot of the responsibilities I had as a pro rider and uh, and uh, you know allowed me more time to focus on developing this coaching business and and it's um, an interesting you know, for me, it's my love of teaching skills goes beyond just the skills because, yeah, it's teaching a skill is one thing. But again, it links back to sort of that bigger purpose I have, which is it's more about the mountain biking lifestyle. And OK, you know, yeah, let's let's learn some skills. But how can we also um, enjoy our riding better? How can we also ride in a way that encourages sort of that lifelong enjoyment, you know, of the sport? You know, how can we take care of our bodies and our minds so we can ride until we're really old and so there's a lot of a lot of those elements factored into how I design a a curriculum for the website and so that's for me really satisfying and as that extra level or layer of depth that for me is really important beyond just do one two three and you'll be able to you know do this skill so there's more to it than that and you mentioned some mental fitness can you describe what that is for people yeah, so it's you know on my website I, I blend in mental fitness components to each course, and I also have a, a specific mental fitness component on the website. You know, it'll be things like different you know different visualization practices, and those would be linked to a certain skill. It'd be a meditation practice. It might be a goal setting practice. It might be a reflection journaling style. Um, component to a course. It might be an interactive kind of thing. It might be a self-assessment sort of component to a course. So a lot of it is like emotional work, like fear, frustration, jealousy, ego, risk versus reward, you know, all these elements and components really flavor and influence how how we ride, how we enjoy our riding, you know, the decisions we make on the bike can all need to be addressed in certain, you know, you need to be acknowledged, you know, for the health of our riding and, and lifestyle. So, yeah, again, I think that comes back to the the confidence and the commitment and overcoming fear when you're trying new things. And definitely I've learned that it does take commitment whenever you're trying to learn a skill because you have to keep at it. And if for technical riding, especially if you start down a feature, <laughs> when I moved to BC, I realized, oh, I like, I can't just get off my bike and just walk at any given moment. Like when you're committing to a feature, mm-hmm. you're, you can't stop until you get to the bottom. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So can, can you talk about that a little bit? Because that was something for me that was brand new and I had been mountain biking for eight years that once you start down a path, you have to commit fully to it. And how do you do that whenever you start getting the, the cold feet in the middle of it? Like, oh, maybe I don't want to do this. Maybe I should bail. Like, how do you get to the finish of that? That's I hate that being in that situation. It sucks. It really <laughs> does. Like, you know, for for any of the the people on my site, I really really encourage you know just knowing where you're riding, what the trails like, making sure you have good reviews of the trail, riding with friends that you know 
care and you know in, in general the older the older we are in the sport the more likely we are to have friends that are gonna you know be aware and care about that kind of thing <laughs> i think it's for the younger generation of riders who there is ego at play and but you know yeah because when you know, when you're riding with some friends and, you know, you don't want to be the one to say, oh, no, this trail's over my head. I'm just going to go do my own thing. It's just it doesn't really happen. It's really tough to be the one to. And then you don't want to be holding the, the group up either. So it becomes really tricky and challenging to deal with those situations. And so I think that's kind of really where that that self-work, that mental fitness comes into play once you start acknowledging and looking at and being honest with yourself about the role that the ego plays in the sport and it's a big deal in mountain biking once that starts to be addressed then some smarter decisions can be made and you can realize when you are in that situation you you know you don't have to degrade yourself or you don't have to feel bad about yourself just because you're walking a section or walking the entire trail or whatever. It's not a big deal. It's like the smartest decision you can make is just to walk a set. If in doubt, if you have any kind of fear that's like, this is not good, this isn't, just walk, walk the section, just get off your bike. Don't even try. But, uh, you know, so I think it's complex and it requires some sort of self-reflection and self-work to sort of begin dealing with. And you might have to have a few injuries along the way to get to the point where you realize that you really need to look hard at yourself and sort of deal with <laughs> the trajectory that you're on. So that's kind of where I kind of stand on that one. Yeah, because I think a lot yeah. of times people feel like they need to prove something. And so they're like, oh, well, I got to prove to my buddies I can do this. And it, it, you're right, it does actually take a lot of internal work to realize like, I don't have to prove this to anybody. And and maybe yesterday I, I shredded this section and today I'm not feeling it. And I mean, I can yeah. speak myself from my own experience. Like people think that pros ride everything all the time and you're just always killing it, but you're not like on my ride today, mm -hmm. there's a section I wasn't feeling. It was pretty easy, but I was like, you know what? If I hit my bar on that tree, I'm, I'm going to crash down a cliff. So I'm just going to walk today. Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. I think that for other people who are listening, maybe you have other people that look up to you. You don't have to be a pro, but being a human and being transparent about being a human and showing the human side of yourself that you do walk things and some days you're just not feeling it. I think that does empower other people who are looking up to you, who are trying to get better to do the same thing and, and not to have to feel that they have to continually prove themselves all the time. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Setting that example is that's a it's a big one. It's a, for me, it was a hard one to get to the point where I was the one setting that example because um, <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Like I always supposed to be the guy in most group ride situations. I was supposed to be the one that could do it or that could make it look easy or to um, show everyone else how it's done. And uh, to get to the point where I just know I can't do it and then someone else does it, you know, it's like, oh, I guess I'm not the one anymore. <laughs> it's tough. It's it's a weird it's a process, you know, as we grow more mature and understand ourselves better, you know, it's not like these kinds of things are useful for 21 year old Ripper, you know, it's just going to go over their head. You know, they've, they've got to go through that sort of learning process. But, um, you know, who knows, you know, if someone's listening to this, it's kind of 
you know, it could be planting some seeds and for maybe some older listeners, it's like, oh yeah, I totally, totally get that. I'm on that program. And so, yeah, I think it boils down to where is your self-worth coming from? Because it sounds like for you, it's like, if you're the guy and everybody's expecting you to be the guy, it's like, well, who am I if I'm not the guy? And what does that mean? Yeah. About, and what does that mean about me? And yeah. diluting that down to like, you know, just the, the average weekend warrior guy, it's like, he's thinking the same thing. I'm supposed to be able to ride this and I can't today, or I, I don't feel comfortable. So what does that mean about me? So mm-hmm. it sounds like the mental fitness aspect of your online coaching, it will help in mountain biking, but it sounds like it'll really help in everything in people's lives because knowing all these things about yourself and always having that curious relationship with yourself is really helpful mm-hmm. in relationships and business and, and all kinds of different things. Yeah, I don't know. Absolutely. You know, it's one of the things I always sort of a bit of a motto is that, you know, riding affects life and and life affects riding and and vice versa both ways. It's just there's no disconnecting the two. It's impossible. Yeah. And that's why we do it, right? Like we love how riding affects our lives and everybody listening, everybody that's ridden a bike and who likes cycling, it has changed their life. Like no doubt. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a really cool thing about our sport. And it doesn't have to be mountain biking. It can be road biking and it can be like triathlon. You know, it it really makes a big difference to figure out who you are and what your expectations are and how to evolve. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing for sure. All right, so let's talk some tips. I know that people are really interested in getting better at riding. And just because somebody has been riding a long time and is a good rider doesn't mean that they're a good coach. And the skill Mm -hmm. of coaching is actually a really challenging thing because you have to be able to break stuff down. And I think that's awesome that you can do both. So Mm -hmm. you mentioned mentioned wheelies. I know people are always asking about wheelies. So can you give some basic pointers for getting started on doing a wheelie and then doing riding an actual wheelie? Um, Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, just to bring the context, you know, I did the program I designed for wheelies. It it is a 30 lesson program. So there's basically 30 steps. And often those steps, you know, are it's each one of those is likely going to take more than a day. So learning how to do a wheelie properly is not a short term project. It definitely takes time and practice and dedication. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I, we do live in the world of uh, what's the shortcut? What's the hack? What's yeah. the quick what's the quick kind of tip to get this cool thing into my, you know, that can be part of me, but there's no shortcuts, but my goal in all of the coaching I do is okay, can I make the learning process more efficient, a little bit faster and also safer and hopefully more enjoyable? You know, though that's kind of, you know, for when I create a, a course on my site, I have the model for the course creation is trail, bike, body, mind, flow. And all of those components are acknowledged and interrelate in different ways throughout the different sections of the course. So in terms of the wheelie, you know, I think safety is probably the most important thing to start with for that one, because sometimes someone who doesn't have much structure or guidance for the wheelie, they'll go out and pop a wheelie and flip over and land on their back or their tailbone. And, you know, that's bad news. So the most important tip for that is, well, you know, it's your rear brake, you know, that's going to be the most important thing to practice. So in the course, before I ask 
people to work on pedaling a few times and keeping their front wheel up for a longer period. You know, I, I work on helping them program their sort of brain to finger um, connection. So they become really trained at grabbing the rear brake and experiencing what happens when they do grab it. So, you know, really, you know, you pop the front wheel up, grab the brake, pop the front wheel up, grab the brake. And for those that don't know, anyway, the wheelie, just to be clear, is when you're when you're seated on the bike and you're pedaling versus a manual, which is when you're standing and rolling along, you're standing, you're not on the, you're not on the saddle, you're standing up and you're not pedaling. So this, the distinction there. Yeah. I want to learn how to manual for sure, but I haven't, like, I haven't actually spent the time trying to learn. <laughs> and it's, yeah. and again, it's like the patience thing. And I actually think that learning mountain bike skills is kind of like learning an instrument because mm-hmm. it does, there are fundamental basics. And with, with music, if you're playing a song and you're like, say, we'll use piano, for example, and you miss a note or you don't know how a rhythm goes, you can actually hear that it's not working. You can yeah, hear the shortcuts yeah. that you're taking, whereas other things you can't hear it. So it's harder to tell if you're trying to cheat the system or hack the system. Sure. Totally. Yeah, no, it's true. It's a great connection there. Cool. So if people want to check out your, your site, I'll link it in the show notes. But can you say it out loud? That way people can find it. Yeah, it's learn.ryanleach.com. So if you, or if you search Ryan Leach Connection, that's the the name of the site. You can also find it through ryanleach.com, just simply there. And there's a, fr- a few free courses that, you know, I'd love people to try out so they can sign up, you know, strings attached to get access to a course. And it's, and it's the thing is like what I create it's a series of videos and steps with written components and an interactive component where you can ask ambassadors and coaches, the coach and ambassador team I have. So you do have to sign in to get access. So the free courses, you you enter your email and you put your name and then basically the, my website sends you the login info. And then that gives you access to some of the free courses I have. And then if, so the 12 ride flat pedal challenge is a course that I created for riders who haven't logged time using flat pedals because flat pedals are an incredible tool for riders wanting to learn some technical skills and to become a little more sort of intimate with their bike and how their body and bike move together. And it um, it's a great thing for for all riders to do, whether they want to ride flat or clipless. It doesn't doesn't matter. But clipless pedal riders can gain a lot from spending some time on flats. And there's a you know some yoga classes for free. There's a fun and easy bike tricks course that's up for free, and so you can check that out. Definitely love for you to check out what I've got going on. And then of course there's more premier courses that are paid that can be bought individually or the membership, which is kind of my focus. It's the the monthly plan where people get access to everything, including all of the mental fitness components, the physical fitness, the yoga, and all sort of the flagship courses that I've got on offer. So, Yeah. And I think that spending money on that is a good investment. And I, I want to sign up for it as well, because it's like we spend all this money on our bike equipment or like spend hundreds of dollars on a jersey. And it that's, not, that's <laughs> yeah. not really doing very much for you. Like you might look cool and you might feel cool for like a short period of time because now you have this neat jersey or whatever. But yeah. actually investing in yourself and in your experience as a rider pays benefits way beyond a material thing. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So like 
How did you decide to set up the structure of this? Because it sounds, I, I did see that you have a bunch of different ambassadors and other coaches on your site. So how did you say, I'm going to coach now? How how did you build out the structure? It's been a gradual process for sure. So it, it's been sort of, you know, as the site's grown and developed, it's okay. You know, I'm always asking, okay, what's needed? How can I better serve the customers that are on the site? And okay, let's add this, let's add that, let's bring this rider in, this coach in to, to support this or that. And, you know, it's um like anything, it's just kind of evolves and gets better with time. And, and so, so it's led to, yeah, you know, I've got hundreds of lessons on the site and, you know, a team of over 20 coaches and ambassadors, some paid, some volunteer and uh, yeah, just a, you know, a thriving community in the private Facebook group that's related to the membership site and also within the courses, you know, just hundreds of comments and questions all with, you know, really professional answers. So that's also a really interesting part that people say is when they sign into a course and they, you know, they're going, they're learning, learning to bunny hop and, you know, they, they'll look at a lesson, they scroll down in the comment section and, you know, there's no ads, there's no busyness or, you know, things you got to get distracted by. It's just a nice focused environment and um, really good positive kind of vibe and so yeah that's really cool because yeah. that's, that's different than just going on youtube and like looking at some how to bunny hop on a youtube because you have a interactive supportive community around you and that's that's super cool like that's really that's a really neat thing for people to be able to plug into yeah, it's been a lot of fun to create that space for people, a, a safe space where they can ask, you know, stupid questions and they can post their their practice videos for feedback and not feel shy about it. I mean, that's kind of what it's all about. And so it's been, um, yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun to develop that. So awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, where are you going on your road trip for your two month road trip? <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, that's uh, it's it's a content creation endeavor. So it's uh, I'll be basically just working on creating content for the membership coaching site while I'm away, just getting examples from all different riding spots. I'll be mostly in sort of the Oregon, uh, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico sort of zone this fall. So cool. Well, I'm, yeah. from, the, I'm from the Southwest, so I'm always a fan of that. <laughs> Oh, cool. Yeah, it's a great zone. Some great places there. So. Yeah, well, awesome. Well, wishing you all the best with that. And you guys listening, make sure you connect with Ryan. He's also on social media and I'll link that up in the, the show notes, but definitely check out his online coaching. And yeah, thanks for just being a, a really positive and awesome force in our community, Ryan. Cool. Yeah, I know it's been fun to connect again, Sonia. Cool. Well, hopefully I'll see thanks you soon. For the... Yeah, sounds good. We did it. Ryan is such a cool guy. I really have a lot of respect for him for what he's done, not only as a professional mountain biker and his crazy technical skills, but also his ability to grow and help and give back to the community as an entrepreneur. Definitely check out his website, ryanleach.com. That's L-E-E-C-H. We'll put that in the show notes. And connect with him on social media. He's a really cool guy and a really easy person to talk to. It means the world to me that you guys are listening to my show and thank you so much for all the feedback and messages you've sent me and for leaving reviews on the podcast. It really puts wind in my sails and helps me stay even more enthusiastic about doing this because the reason I do it is because I want to connect with these amazing people and bring their stories to you because it makes the world a better place. 
If you'd like to connect a bit further, I have a free newsletter on my website. So all you have to do is go to sonyalooney.com and subscribe. I try to put out a variety of different types of information from things that I've written to plant-based tips to notifications that there's a new podcast episode. So definitely make sure to check that out. And sometimes I even put out discount codes from my sponsors. Those are always really nice, especially with the holidays coming up. And I'll be asking specifically for you guys. Huge thank you to those of you who have contributed on Patreon, the crowdfunding website for my podcast. If you notice, I don't have any ads on my show, and I'm trying to keep it that way. The cost of producing a podcast can be quite high, and most of that is coming straight out of my pocket, but I'm doing it because I really believe that there's a lot of value in it. So thank you to those of you who are supporting my work financially. I just got back from Interbike and I'll be posting some vlogs of the craziness there. So make sure you check out my YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash Sonia Looney MTB. And I'm really aiming to put out more YouTube videos. I think it's a really fun, a different way to bring stories to people. If you live in the San Francisco area, I'm going to be speaking at the World Veg Fest on October the 1st. So I'm gonna be speaking about have, being a world champion and eating a plant-based diet, and also talk about making changes in your life and how to do that in a positive and healthy way, and how to do it in an inclusive way if you wanna tell other people about it. That's it for the show. Thanks again for listening, you guys. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures, and we'll see you back here next week. <laughs>